Hey, Collaborist, I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckles. And you're listening to Collabracast. How's it going, Jay? Doing very well. How about you? I am doing okay. Sun is shining. It's a little bit warm. Been getting a few more steps in every day, and that's that's good. Let's find uh, by Madison January standards. Uh, it's hovering around thirty. It, okay. The biggest distinction is because I'm old. Walking, if there is still snow and ice on the sidewalk, throws my back out. Like I'm, I'm that person who's complaining about that, and it's because walking on uneven surfaces and my hamstrings are already shot from being dumb in my youth. So yeah, I'll, I'll make a rather routine and simple trip somewhere and it will cost me two or three days of mobility. And I am taking advantage of right now that everything is flat and smooth, sidewalks, street, everything. I can just go out and walk. It is a wonderful thing. You can bundle up enough that you don't have to worry about the cold. But for me, it's it's the hamstrings. You, of course, were the absolute center of the weather story of, of the year so far. How are things out in the California now? Things are sunny, slightly breezy today. Um, there hasn't been any rain for about a week or so. Um week and a half maybe um yeah it's it's i i hear that there is more coming towards the end of the month into early february i think i saw one report on that a few days ago about another river about conditions setting themselves up in such a way that there could be another big round of precipitation but uh as for right now it's been it's been been lovely we went out and did some hiking this last weekend went out to marin county and and i walked uh to kids out there and we walked uh, around some lakes that have historically been pretty low so uh it was just good to see good to see them full of water all kinds of creeks emptying into them we uh my son and i went and we took photos of every mushroom we could find and in the stretch of about mile and a half we probably found between 20 and 30 different kinds wow yeah it was amazing just the the because this is in like the the edge of a redwood forest that comes down to a lake and it's like the shady side of the of the lake so it's just perfect conditions and then all the the storms blew all kinds of branches down and things so there's just all kinds of detritus and fallen wood on the floor and the, the mushrooms were just everywhere I don't know. If, I don't know what what uh, I don't know the distinction between. I guess some all mushrooms are fungi, but there's fungi that isn't mushrooms. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the term. I've ordered a book. I figured out. I I ordered a book. I ordered a field guide on mushrooms. Not that I'm planning to start collecting them and eating them anytime soon, but you just walk by, you know. And there's so many. There's just so much life and all of these things thriving, and they're just the strangest shapes and colors I'm just like I'd, I'd like to know more about what I'm seeing here yeah it makes you just think about in the four plus billion years that the planet has been around 
like if you just had a camera snapshot, like you could just take whatever your camera can catch now, just how many radically different things, alien things we would have been able to take pictures of that we would just, it would blow our minds today. Flora, fauna, all of it, just the mega, the mega flora, the mega fauna, like just, yeah, I, it's amazing what is come and what is gone. And I think, and I'm going to make up a number, but it's, it's accurate. It's something like 98% or maybe it's even 99 plus percent of all species that have ever lived on earth are extinct. And that's, that's just so incredible to think of. Yeah. What we haven't seen. Yeah. And then you think about the exploring space and what what else is out in the cosmos that we have no idea about or even in the ocean i think we've explored six percent of the ocean so who knows what what else is down there and that's just today you know my son has been really interested in prehistoric underwater life and has like dug up all of these spent used to spend a lot of time reading about all these sorts of things and it's just like the, the the fish and the the ocean dinosaurs that once were it was just crazy yeah and that's just the you know that's the megafauna and then there are on these micro levels <clears throat> all these other things going on like especially with the fungus you've got these these parasitic funguses that take over insects and like the zombie things and it's just it's it it might be that that and I've never known if it's fungi or fungi or both. So, um, but they 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 might be the dominant life form on the planet, and they're just kind of quietly running things behind the scenes, and we just haven't figured it out yet. That tracks. I believe that. Yeah, believe that would be true. I wanted to give a quick update. A few episodes back, we talked about the woman who faked her own death as a marketing ploy for her books. Uh, and we said that that had probably been an ill-advised strategy. And when we covered it, the story was just breaking that day. But since then, if people remember that and wanted to know more about that story, it's been covered extensively by larger media, including the New York Times. And in a future episode of this podcast, I definitely want to go over weighing the sense of urgency to market your book and to feel like the world is very loud and you want to be heard and seen and the way that that might create a temptation to come up with outlandish, extreme marketing hooks, ideas, etc. and why you should in 99.99 repeating 9% of cases ignore or squelch those urges to do things that are outside of the box and are uh, bold and brash because in the end they probably aren't going to serve you well and they're going to not do anything appreciable for your book sales but they're also going to make you a nuisance within the communities where you hope to be not a nuisance and I and I recognize, I want to be very clear, like I understand, trust me, I understand how hard it is to get attention for books and for writing 
and things that you really believe in and that you really want an audience for. And I don't have any concrete answers about how you achieve those things. I, I don't. And just know that I understand the frustration and the suffering and the disappointment that comes with not being able to get the word out. But pulling dramatic theatrics as a way to create a market is not really going to probably be a sustainable thing. And I would advise against it. Well, like you said, it's, it's, it's a way to get attention from the communities that you're looking for attention from, but for the wrong reasons. You know, people are not talking about her writing. They're not talking about her books. They're talking about the stunts and the manipulation. I also wanted to bring up that Jason and I will be at AWP in Seattle in March, and we are going to have a lot of fun in our booth. So if you are at AWP or you are thinking about attending AWP, be sure to add the Collaborist booth to your roadmap of places you want to go. We're going to be doing things like free query letter reviews in booth. And you can get some help there and a whole bunch of other things. And we'll have more details in the weeks to follow. And we'll have a hidden page on the Collaborist website that you can know all about to know when and where you should show up and all of the magic that is promised you. We're going to fake our own deaths every hour on the hour through the course of it. So come by for that. What's going to happen is I'm actually going to die and people are going to be like, oh, man, they really went for it. Like, oh. <laughs> no, you can kick Ben. It's okay. He's all right. He's just faking. Uh, what do we got on the old docket for today, Mr. Buckholtz? Well, we are going to talk about characters and how well you should know them and how you should go about making sure that you know them to the extent we're going to recommend <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> what is, I'm looking forward to this conversation. What is, how do you meet your characters? What is that process like for you? I will. I'll, I'll come up with a character and then I'll just think about them for a very long time. I don't, I, I very rarely sit down with a blank page and without much in the way of ideas or notes. Um, I'll, I'll think of scenarios, I'll think of characters, and then I'll just kind of let them run around in my head for usually years. Um, that might explain my work rate to some extent. <laughs> There's some improvement, improvement to be had there, but... Um, but there's also a backlog of ideas that that where things are are marinating at all different all different levels. But um, I will usually what I usually what happens in my mind is that I just I hear them talking. I see them in situations. I imagine scenarios where they're talking to another character or they're responding to something. And then I, I just kind of get a feel for them that way um especially in relation to other characters in in that are you know other main characters 
It's not very are you ever, are you ever surprised think. by the way they develop? You Absolutely. Them one way and then they end up being something other? Yes. One of the main characters, so my work in progress, one of the main characters did not appear until probably the fourth or fifth draft. I had written this whole manuscript. I'd revised it a couple of times and I just, I felt like there was something missing from it. There was just kind of this, and I didn't even know it was a character at that point. It was, it was just like, there needs to be some other entity in this story somewhere. And I, I had a feel for what I needed that entity to do. Like it had to, I needed, I needed for certain pressures to be applied. It was like part of a, a kind of a ticking clock type thing. Kind of, it was, it was a, I, ne I needed a way to impart a little more of a sense of urgency. And I didn't know what that was. And then all of a sudden this, character just uh, just popped into my head and then as i thought about it 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 it, it he very quickly evolved into at, at first i thought this is just like a little something that needs to be there on the periphery and then this guy kind of busted on the scene he was like actually i'm going to be right here center stage one of your viewpoint characters i got this whole backstory i got this these all these relationships to these other characters some of which I know about some of which I don't, some of which are going to come to light through the course of the book. And it's weird now to even think that there was a version of the story without him. Like he's in the, in the revisions I've done since then, he's, he's become so integral. I do like to make uh, like family trees. I'll make um, at the, at the beginning of a hundred years of solitude, there's a, a, big family tree of of the generations and all the different branches of the family that you're constantly referring to as you go through that book and I'll I'll do that as I have it's a contemporary story but it the, there are there's backstory that goes back a couple of generations and then there are all these different familial connections and over the course of drafting I'm changing names changing relationships confusing myself so I I maintain a family tree that I'm updating as my my kind of cheat sheet. Are there people on that family tree that don't actually appear in the book? Yes. Yes, there are. They may have a a brief mention. Um, you know, their their existence is implied. They're mentioned a time or two just in terms of of establishing these connections. Um, but they don't they don't really have any bearing on the the plot on the current story um you know the backstory just just moving people from point a to point b this is again like a paper sun was it's a book about immigrating to california it's a book about people who come here from various places and and how they get here and so it's it's not about the it's much less about the immigration experience than a paper son was, but that's the background. This is, you know, my, my interest is really, at least in these, in these two books, it's really the, the experience of, of being a, a second or third generation Californian and having these immigration stories, a, a generation or 
two or three generations ago. So I think that that, that those experiences and it's, you know, I've, I've lived here almost my whole life with the exception of a year here and a year there. And so for me, it's so many people that I've met, so many people that I've known so much of my own experience has been, you know, there, there, there aren't many people you meet who have been here, whose families have been here more than a couple of generations. Um, and so that's just, it's, it's interesting to me how we craft identities based on these different, based on our own interpretations and our own attempts to figure out what happened over these last couple of generations. And so, you know, the, the, these stories really take on a, a kind of a mythical sense. And so they're like, you know, even though they're, they're, they're these stories just about people's grandfathers they still take on these 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 mythical senses because it's like you they they they're from this in this case this this little village in mexico that the character's never been to like he has no connection to it other than these stories that he remembers having passed down to him and so it's it's you know they have that it, it there's it's a lot of these characters are building their own narratives out of these these stories and they're they're trying to create continuity and, and a sense of lineage based on these kind of scanty details just like like I've done personally it's been my experience in working with authors that there will be moments when characters do things that I think to myself this is what the author would do if the author was in this situation but that's different from what the character would do in this situation. And that's a, it's a really important for me, at least aspect of how we get characters who feel entirely organic and real and that they are separate from the author. I mean, there are times where authors are writing autobiographical fiction or inspired from their own lives. So what the character would do and what they would do maybe is a similar thing. But I find often that there's a disconnect and that writers forget that they are actually inhabiting the brain of a character when they are doing actions or having dialogue and that you have to check in sometimes. And for me... Pulling on that thread is sometimes an arduous process. Sometimes it's emotionally taxing. And I will do the, the most extreme example that, that I have is like you, I had a character who showed up in later drafts of my book and appeared in multiple drafts of the book after that. And then each one really cool but if you asked me who this person was and why they were the way they were i would have just said like they showed up in this scene they were already 40 years old and they were baked into who they were which is fine but not a satisfying answer for me as someone who's trying to understand humans and so i wrote a whole novella tracing this character back not 
for publication purposes. No one will probably ever read it. I, I don't see any circumstances where people read it. But it gave me the opportunity to figure out who were this character's parents? Who were, where, where did he come from? How is it that he's arrived here in 1984 as 40 years old? When was, when was he born? What were the circumstances of his birth? What were the circumstances of his parents before his birth? What was the family history going back? Because all of these things influence who we are and how we act. And even if it's that we act similarly to our family tree or we act in defiance of our family tree and we act completely differently, our response to the generations that preceded us is a very big part of of who we are and how we are, what we take pride in, what we find despicable. And so I will go to great lengths to think about these backstories and not just the dates of a calendar, like, oh, this person was born in 1953. Then I say to myself, even though this isn't in the book, at eight years old, which there is some writing and I don't know how much of it's evidence-based versus theory, but that what we experienced when we were eight years old sort of pops onto the pages. What what intrigued us, what mystified us as eight-year-olds often pops into our stories. And I don't know if that's more in the uh, navel-gazing, reflective, sort of literary fiction, weighty, meaty stories that, you know, I don't know that like a book with centering around a car chase and a kidnap plot has much to do with what you were thinking about as an eight-year-old. Although certainly we were inundated with stranger danger and other things. But like I look at um, a perfect example, the Challenger explosion. That stuck with a whole generation of people and it's being pointed out that now that those of us of a certain age are in a place where we are the people who are creating media that's being consumed by a larger public that the challenger keeps popping up and all these things and it's like this is something that captivated and our brain has been processing so i will think about like okay, well, if this person was born in 1951, then they were eight in 1959. What was going on in the news in 1959? What would what would they have been thinking about? Would they have been thinking about like the Cold War, like all of these things and how that influences how we become people who grow into adults who then live in the world. And I'll, I'll just sit and I'll watch on YouTube, I'll watch movies from that era, I'll listen to music from that era so that I can think about how would my character be perceiving all of these things and how would what they're perceiving and what they're being fascinated by, how would that interact with the other people in their life at the time? And it it becomes a little bit obsessive for me, but I want to create characters who when the when the reader is done reading the book, they either are looking in the phone book, if we still had phone books, um, for the character's name, because they feel real enough that you should be able to call them, that they exist somewhere, or you're out looking for their tombstone if they would already have, have passed away. And I got really tripped out 
back around the time when I was turning 40, because I started thinking about, and I think I was using Mark Twain and Tom Sawyer at the time. Far enough in the future, Mark Twain and Tom Sawyer are both just going to be names. There's no firsthand account. There's no firsthand account of a person who can say they met Mark Twain, that they were friends with Mark Twain. There's no one who can actually say that Mark Twain ever existed because after a while, the first person witness is gone. And then we just have to trust on the reliability of the records and photographs. But like, there's no, there's no certainty. And so after a while, Tom Sawyer is just as real as Mark Twain because they are names written down on a page. And like, there's no material, real distinction between the two of them. We can say that one existed and had an influence on the culture, but they both did. And so that can't be the marker for what's real. And so I want to create characters that are as real as any human being has ever left. And I, you know, in a perfect world, I'd have confusion that when someone discovers the one copy of the book that I printed out at Kinko's and they look at, they're like, wait, is this, is this an actual, is this nonfiction? Is this fiction? Who are these people? Did they ever exist? Like, that's what I want. I want that. And there's, some of the concealed some of the events in my book um uh, everything in my book takes place in the past but there are dates mentioned about things in the future and i was just talking to somebody yesterday about the book and i thought yeah it'd be really cool if in 2039 or 2028 like when these different things happen in the book if people started showing up where these things are supposed to take place expecting them to take place that somehow this is so real to me and these things and these places feel so real that there must be something to this so I'm going to show up in northwest nebraska in 2028 because i'm expecting this thing to happen because look i read about it and it felt real so maybe it is real that to me is born out of fully understanding place and the people in your novels and being able to just create as thin a margin between reality and fiction as possible no buffer no space and you know, I'll do things like, uh, even right now, I'm wearing a shirt that came from the gift shop of a place in my book that I made up. That's lending reality, you know. Like I have this roadside museum that's in my book, and I designed a shirt based on this roadside museum. And when I'm walking around and people look at it. And I don't explain what it is. I'm sure they think it's a real place somewhere. So maybe it is. What's the name of the what's the name of the gift shop? Well, the the place is Parchman's Creek in yeah. Nebraska, which doesn't actually exist, but it's the it's the setting for something that happens in the book. But I uh, I will often work with authors and I will ask them 
what I believe to be simple questions about their characters and they won't know. That's questions. What were their what what were your protagonist's parents like? And if you're dealing with a 50-year-old character who's trying to solve a murder, the question of what are your what were your parents like may seem like, well, that's not relevant to this story because that my parents aren't in this book and they're not trying to solve this mystery. No, but I guess the the simple pop culture reference I could make is like Batman became Batman because he watched his parents get gunned down. And like, then we get this sense of, I want justice. I want to help. I want to stop bad things from happening. Okay. So if that's what happened to someone's parents, now why they're trying to solve mysteries as a private detective, that makes a lot more sense to me. Here is someone who feels called to do this because of personal experience, leaving such a lasting impression on them that they have no other choice but to do this, which is different than, yeah, I got fired from my job in the factory and I decided that I just wanted to become a detective. Okay, but why is that what you decided to do? Well, because my ex-wife left me, okay? And, and that's what made you decide to put your life in danger and become this detective who's on a car chase and a kidnapping plot. Okay, maybe. That reminds me, I told you before, I want to watch, I want to do a whole episode. Calabras, I don't know how many of you watched the series Paul T. Goldman on Peacock. And this probably will be really dated in like three years. People are going to be like, what's a Peacock? What's a Paul T. Goldman? But uh, it was a really frustrating series for me to sit through. And uh, I'm encouraging Jason at some point to make his way through it so that we can have a discussion about it here on the podcast. But if any of you who are listening to this or watching this on YouTube have any thoughts without spoilers, uh, I would love to hear your comments on how how you enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it. Um. So, you know, like when I ask those questions of people, I think some people, it's pretty quick where they're like, oh, okay, I understand why you would ask that question. But there are other people who, for whatever reason, either don't want to or or are incapable of, of examining those matters of why these things are important, why a character's background is important. And I don't care about like, what is their favorite kind of candy? Like that doesn't mean anything. It's like, what are the things that motivate and push you? What happened in your family tree where this is how it branched out? Where is the fork in the road that you took? Where is the getting knocked down and getting back up and having to like survive as a broken or fractured or cut or scarred person in the world? What is the thing that is pushing you and motivating you? And what then are your experiences between the time that event happened or those events happened and where we are now in the book? And how is that different between the character and the author? And what is, this is, you know, this is a big part of it is 
what is the author's ability to write from that character's point of view? I read people who write detective fiction, crime fiction. Obviously, that's kind of where I grew up. But people writing from the perspective of law enforcement who have clearly have never worked in law enforcement. And so everything feels like this is what law enforcement in TV and movies sounds like. It's from the last episode of Cops that I saw. Yeah, exactly. And to me, that's one-dimensional character building, and there's nothing engaging about it. And if the idea is to tell, tell a story that's going to entertain us with big explosions and high-speed car chases, maybe your protagonist doesn't have to have depth. That's not why we're there. We're not there to like learn the human condition. We're there to be entertained by explosions and fireballs. But for me, as a reader, as a consumer of anything, that is not sufficient sustenance for me if I'm going to hand over my time. Like I... I'm not in like even like a fireworks display. It's it's cool, I guess, but I'm not moved by it because I'm I'm able to look at it and say, okay, it's gunpowder, it's color, it's yeah, cool. What's but but what are we doing here? And then you can get into questions on the fourth of July of like, well, what does this represent? What what does this mean historically? What is what is the variation in the meaning? How do we find our own concept and our own context for this? And those are those are big, different questions, big questions. And that I get, but I'm not impressed simply by the fireworks, even if they're a technical marvel, and they are, but like, okay. I actually had that, the, the cop situation that you mentioned. I had, so this character I was talking about earlier, is a, a DEA agent. And I realized I was writing a DEA agent and had no idea what the life of a DEA agent really was. And so through, I have a, a friend who's on, in the Berkeley Police Department and I just started, ask, I asked him and it turns out that he has a connection in the Oakland DEA's office. So he hooked me up with an agent there who was gracious enough to hop on the phone with me for a while. And I kind of ran some scenarios by him. <clears throat> and the main piece of feedback that I got was, was just like, there, that would require a lot of paperwork. Like that situation probably wouldn't happen because of how much paperwork it would actually, <laughs> it would actually include. So um, I, I found myself writing a bunch of paperwork <laughs> into the storyline. That was my... <laughs> my dose of realism it was like yeah, yeah all the all the the fireworks and things are are accurate but there's just a whole lot of paperwork that goes with it all do you ever prescribe character bibles to your clients to authors you're working with when when you come across someone who who does who can't answer those questions yeah i do i'll i'll tell people to like really dig down and the character bible for me there's the there's the how old is this person? Where did they come from? What's the brief family tree? But what I'm really trying to get to is the my character, insert name here, wants 
something insert here, but something here. And it's, you know, Jason wants a peanut butter sandwich, but he's out of peanut butter. So that sets up the like, okay, well then this book is about Jason going to get peanut butter so he can satisfy the thing that he wants. And so that's just the basic, like, let's set that up. But then from there, the but, the, the but, like that part of like, what is the challenge? What is the thing that's stopping somebody from doing the thing they want? And there's the external obstacle. Jason is out of peanut butter. But there's also the internal struggle. There's there's a figuring out why is this the thing that you want? The figuring out why this is the thing you want. And from there, figuring out what's motivating you, what continues to motivate you, why you would put everything else in your life on hold, just to put this in the most dramatic terms I know how, put everything in your life on hold to try to pursue this, to try to scratch this itch. And that's where you have to get into the psychological stuff. I've got uh, someone that I was working with earlier, or last year, I guess. And at the heart of her story was a grieving mother. And I thought about, and I asked her to consider like, what was her life like before the grief came in? What is she trying to get back to? Or does she recognize that she can't ever get back to that, but she's trying to find a piece of where she is now and what she's got going now? And, and what is the obstacle to getting through peace? Well, one thing is coming to grips with a tragedy. And we come to grips with tragedy through a variety of things. We have anger, we have denial, we have trying to work through it, we have trying to overcome it, we have trying to let go of it. We have all of these things that are all competing at the same time that are human emotions, that if you do it right, your reader's gonna read it and say, I recognize myself in this character, which is why I feel so connected to this character. Even if the tragedies are radically different, even if the circumstances are completely different at the heart of it is the human response of I have been knocked down I need to get up what am I going to what's going to give me the motivation the energy to get up and the strength to continue on that could be a very different answer from one character to the next which is absolutely that deep backstory comes in yeah it's not just motivation it also can shape decisions decision making it can shape your your confidence in your decisions you might have two different characters who make the same decision but one because of their past make it with complete confidence or recklessness or whatever and another character who makes it with a lot of trepidation a lot of hesitation um, and then those are two different two different each of those situations can open up its own set of as an author it, it it can suggest all sorts of other things it's like what does it mean for this character like if you have someone who plunges into something recklessly versus someone who plunges into who, who steps into something very cautiously what are the different things that can 
result from that what are the different pitfalls they sort of have different different kinds of pitfalls that they can encounter based on all that background yeah do you ever tell your authors to write novellas about their characters <laughs> if they don't know them well enough or is I, that i, a, I don't tell them to do it i tell them that i have done it and then if people <laughs> feel like they are uh if they know that they can do that 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 is an option i i think about how important that was for me to better understanding um, a, a character and, and how it was also from a sleight of hand behind the scenes thing. It also allowed me to think about little Easter eggs that I could put in the book that you'd have to do some serious research for to understand that the Easter egg is there. But I love that. I love that. I love thinking about if you say that someone was born on the third day of a week in 1947, and someone is able to go through the archives and figure out what day you're talking about, and they figure out that, oh, something major happened that day, and that also happens to mirror or parallel the journey of the actual character without ever drawing any attention to it. Like, that's that's how layered I've got things, and I'm... I do that to keep myself entertained, but I draw very little attention to it. I'm not doing it to be like, look at this cool trick I'm doing. Although I guess I'm kind of doing the look at what cool trick I'm doing. But I, I try to like bury that stuff in there. And it helps just ground where, where something occurred and how it occurred and what was going on at the time. And I have no idea how the events outside of our internal worlds affect the larger lives we live later on down the road. If something major happens and you are a baby when it happens, but it shifts the world in a significant way or is the start of something big that then later on affects your life, there's kind of an interesting journey there that these two things happened at the same time. And now look at how they're interacting and you wouldn't really stop to think about it until you stop to think about it. And that's what I love. And that's why I think the book is taking me as long as it is to have a finished, finished, finished version of it is because I keep thinking like, oh, well, if I could effortlessly put that in, that would add this whole other component there's a lot of grist sitting out in the world that can be run through the mill. There is indeed. I think I have bored myself talking about this. And do you have any any other thoughts about it? I've got about half a dozen novellas I need to go write now, apparently. So <laughs> I think we should wrap this up. I've got my marching orders. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for listening, Collaborists. If this has been helpful or if any of the other episodes have been helpful, please subscribe, rate, review, talk about it with your friends, write a long blog post about how much it's changed your life. And uh, those of you on YouTube, so glad to have you in the comments. So glad to see you all participating. If there's anything that you want discussed, any questions you want answered in a future episode of Collaboracast, 
just send them to info at collaborist.org and Mr. Buckholz and I will answer them. And I think that is pretty much it from here. For story. For community. Collaborate. Novellas or something or other.